0: What's up, everybody? My name is Jordan. Uh, I get the privilege to share with y'all today. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Special shout-out to everybody who is here for the first time today. We are so grateful that you took the time out to come in person or certainly with a shout-out to everybody joining us online. Now, I grew up and one of my first jobs was I was a waiter. Now, one of the big pros about this job was that I would get paid every single week. Now, my father would always say, a fool and his money soon depart. And every single time that paycheck would hit, I would go to the check cashing spot, and uh, next thing I know, I would be on Fordham Road with a pocket full of money, and eager to spend every single cent that I had that day. And i never forget, I was about 13 or 14, and I hopped on Fordham, and this guy must have seen me coming from like a mile away. I think I had stupid just written on my forehead. <laughs> And uh, I walk up and he's like, yo, I gotta show you something, which is warning sign number one, (laughs) right? But New York in the 90s was a different time where that wasn't actually that strange to do that. And um, he shows me this beautiful gold chain. I mean, this joint is glistening. When the sun hits it, I'm like, yo, this is gonna be absolutely incredible. And on the chain, there was a price tag that he said that he just got it from Macy's for $500. He asked me, well, how much money do you have? I said, I got like $20. He was like, "So that's a..." Now, I thought that I was going to be gaining possession of stolen property, which is another sermon in and of itself. Uh, But I couldn't wait to put that chain on. And the second we transferred the money for the chain, I put it around my neck, and I felt like a million bucks. That week in school, uh, I had my chain on the outside of my shirt tucked in, and I was just finding reasons to go to the front of the class. You know what I'm saying? When your outfit, when the fit is fire... You got the shine on, you, just, you sharpen your pencil like 19 times. <laughs> but after the first week, the shine just wasn't what it was. And I thought, well, maybe this is like a gold-silver that has a little tarnish to it. You know what I'm saying? I got to just buff it a little bit to get the shine back. And the more I would buff it, the, the more dull it became. And by about week two or three, that joint was like jade green. It was... It did not even resemble gold anymore, and I realized that I got, got. What I thought was real was really fake. The difference between real and fake actually is never something that you can determine at first impressions. Sometimes at first impressions, they both look the same. What will tell you the difference between real and fake is that the real will be able to stand the test of time, but the fake will never last. Now, we're starting a series called Real Love, and we're looking at this concept, which is the probably the biggest and most pervasive theme in the Bible. And we're going to be getting really practical to hit not just love between us and God, but also love between us and each other, relationships, all of the different things. And this is a profoundly important and vital topic. If you don't understand love, real love, you'll never be able to have a relationship with God. If you don't understand love, like real love, not the fake stuff, You're never going to be able to thrive and have any type of relationship with people that actually matters, that actually stands the test of time. Now, I'm fully aware of a couple of different challenges that we have ahead of us as we are starting this conversation on love and starting this series. So today is week one of about eight weeks that we're going to be talking about love and real love. And there's a couple of different challenges that we face. Uh, Number one, a lot of times there are people who have gone to different churches who have talked about love and relationships before. Now, I want y'all to do me one big favor. Don't hear me say anything that I did not say. I don't know Reverend Brown. I don't know who you grew up with. I don't know that pastor, that preacher that said those things. I didn't go to that church. They weren't a part of this series formation. I don't know anything about them. And to the extent that you can separate whatever previous church experience, whether it was good or harmful, uh, unfortunately, if you can just give me a blank slate and give me uh, t- the, the benefit of the doubt that I am only saying what I am actually saying. And please don't hold me up against that. So number two, that's that number one, that's a big challenge that we all kind of come in with some baggage of what we have heard, particularly in Christian spaces before, where they make you feel, particularly if you're a single person, that you're just less than. Like You're not, you know, you're not a real Christian because you're not married yet. You know what I mean? Like once you get married, then you'll, then you'll have the fullness of life. Uh, The strange truth in that, that so many churches, although marriage is certainly a good thing, elevated to this place that scripture itself never puts marriage, because the person who lived the fullness of life to the fullest extent, Jesus, was not married. Marriage is great, and we hope to cast a beautiful vision for what the Bible describes it, something that our society does a terrible job at, but marriage is not the ultimate thing in life. So there's a lot of baggage in terms of your experiences in church or in different spaces But there's also a lot of different people in here from different life stages. Now when we say Renaissance is diverse, we don't mean just the Christmas card has a bunch of black people, some Italians and some some Koreans on there. (laughs) The potluck at Renaissance would be amazing, though, if we just kept it all the way live. (laughs) But it's not just diverse in that sense. We are also extremely diverse from the perspective of what kind of water bottles we have. some hard metal, some plastic. No, but in terms of life stage, uh, we have a lot of people who are are married and you are here in the hopes that your marriage is pretty good and you wanna bolster and strengthen your marriage. I'm also well aware that there are some people here who are married and you have genuine questions and concerns about whether or not you will be married to the same person next year. And that you've tried a bunch of different stuff and nothing seems to be working. Y'all just can't get on the same page. Or you're happy, kind of sometimes, but most of the days, you feel like you're not getting what you signed up for. My hope in this series is that in casting a, a better vision of what love is, it will actually deepen and strengthen your relationship. Others of you are single, and some single means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Some of y'all are single, and you're like, yo, I'm chilling, I'm straight. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if I want to get married because the examples that I've seen, not that stellar, my friend. Others of you, when you think about love and relationships, it's actually a pretty sore subject. It's something that you deeply desire, but at this stage of your life, you don't have it just yet or certainly not in the form that you want it. Others of you are divorced and you have made some real bad mistakes and you're wondering what life looks like for you going forward after having made a mess of a previous relationship. Others of you are divorced and you have been the person in the relationship that was trying. You were praying, you were faithful, You were the one pursuing them. You were trying to make it work, and for whatever reason, it just didn't work. So what does life look like for you going forward? Others of you are widowed, and what does it look like to move forward after a really tragic and severe loss? So, man, we got people coming from a whole lot of different experiences with a whole lot of baggage, but I actually think the number one challenge ahead of us is that we just don't understand love. We don't even know what that word means. My hope today is to give us a framework that we will be expounding upon for the next eight weeks. Today, we are just starting the conversation um, and we're not gonna be finished up for a while. And I really want us to get on the same page when we talk about this concept of what is love because I don't want anybody signing up for the bootleg, fake gold chain version of love that exists all around us in society. That's not what God wants for you. That's not the type of love that God wants you to pour into people. Now, all throughout society, different forms of love have been explained throughout history. The first type of love is something called storge, which means affection. Now, affection is a beautiful thing, but affection, if that is your definition of love, it's gonna fail you, because affection doesn't last forever. I'll never forget the feeling that I had when I first saw both of my kids, and the best way I know how to explain it, it was like this explosion in my heart of affection, and I didn't know that even was possible to feel this much affection for somebody who I just met two seconds ago uh, instantly. But any parent will tell you that affection don't last. <laughs> when the baby is six months old at three o'clock in the morning and they've been crying for like two hours straight, here's the, the, the real truth. I learned why they always tell you to never shake a baby. In the hospital, before you've had kids, they say, don't ever shake a baby. You're like, all right, that sounds terrible. Of course I would never do that. At 2 o'clock in the morning, when the baby has been crying nonstop seriously, you have to go back and say, oh, let me not shake this baby seriously, because it makes you kind of go crazy, sleeplessness and all these different things. And let me tell you what does not exist at 3 o'clock in the morning after you've been sleepless for the last six months, affection. (laughs) You don't feel that. A lot of times when people think about the word love, when you think about your relationship right now that you're in, when you think about the relationship that you want to have, a lot of y'all are just thinking about affection. Now, affection has its place, but affection could never be the goal of what you are pursuing. Affection could never be the totality of what it is because affection does not last. It's here one day and gone the next. It is never something that will carry you through the most difficult seasons of life, when life really hits, or when challenges hit, or when people drift away in different capacities. You need something bigger than affection to be your center. The second thing that we understand love to be, which is nothing wrong with it, again, nothing wrong with affection, uh, but it cannot be the totality of of what we're talking about today, is phileo, which is love, friendship. Uh, This is a word that's used in the Bible as um, brotherly love, as we're... uh, told. And um, it, phileo occurs from bonding over similar interests. So lovers might be preoccupied with each other. Friends are preoccupied with the same things. For, of course, friends care about one another, but it is similar interests that attract them to one another. So my wife and Heather, who was leading worship today, they always clown me and my boy Aswan for our bromance. And the uh, The brotherly love, and you know, we'll get around each other, and tonight is a night that I'm actually uh, one of my favorite nights of the year. We are having our fantasy basketball draft. Yes, there we go. (laughs) And that is going to, I can't wait either. It's actually one of my favorite days of the year. And one of the, the things about our brotherly love is that it tends to be, of course we love each other. But it. Phileo is a type of love that is centered around common experiences and different things. If the extent of your love for a people, let's just say even in the church, is limited to having shared experiences, then at the very root of it, it's, it's a kind of selfish love because you're only seeking the things that you want to do. But it won't be sacrificial. It won't withstand the test of time and different seasons of life because it's going to be centered around the same thing. It is good to have shared interests with people, but anybody who's been married for any amount of time knows that there are things that you like to do and things that they like to do. And if you only do the things that you want to do, if they only do the things that they want to do, you're going to have a miserable life and relationship. Even in our church community, one of the things that, that robs people of deep, meaningful relationships, when they think about love your brother or your sister, they think, well, something is wrong or I don't necessarily want to be tied to them in community because we just don't really share a lot of the same interests when the bible calls you to love someone it's not saying to love them like this a third kind of love that we see in life and in history is eros from which we get the word erotic and uh, eros or eros um, i got a d in new testament greek means (laughs) romance i can speak english at least um it means romance and i don't need a whole lot of expounding on this and you know i think What Hollywood has done us a complete disservice in is that they have rewritten our understanding of love to be this thing of explosive infatuation with another person. And listen, man, if what you feel like in life, your goal, if your pursuit is romance, then I guarantee you, you are going to be disappointed. You are setting yourself up for grave disappointment if you think that any other person can keep you there for any sustained amount of time. Erotic love or this romance, romance is great. You know, it's always funny when you meet couples who are brand new and they're like, oh, you know, baby, you know, oh, yeah, what do you wanna do? What do you wanna do tonight? I can do whatever, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I wanna do whatever you wanna do tonight. (laughs) After you've been married a little bit, my wife's like, what do you wanna do? I'm not going to her house. I am not going there tonight. I want a cheeseburger. I do not want that vegan restaurant you're trying to take me to. You become a lot less uh, flexible after a couple of years. uh, In all seriousness, though, one of the challenges of, of, of life is that couples say this term of, oh, we're just not in love anymore. And what they mean is, we're not feeling romance anymore. As if romance was supposed to be the pillar that you were building your life on. Listen, when I was, uh, uh, I've told the story a bunch of times, Um, my my late wife passed away from cancer, my wife and I are both widowed, and uh, she was healthy for the first 10 months of our marriage, and then got sick after about 10 months and lived for another 10 months. And if you would have asked me on our wedding day, did I love Danielle, I would have said 100% yes. Like, look at us smiling on the gram, of course we're happy. But I didn't learn what it meant to love her until after she got sick until after we, there was no more shared experiences of going out and having a good time. When romance was out the window, that's actually when I learned what it means to love her and to be loved by her. When there was no romance within a 10 mile radius, and that period marked the deepest, most abiding love that we ever had together. What God is calling all of us to, to pursue, to have, to dream of, is not just romance. Romance will not carry you through difficult seasons. Affection will not carry you through difficult seasons. What God is calling us to is something called agape. Now, agape is not just born out of emotions, as one scholar says. It is not born out of emotions, feelings, familiarity, or attractions, but from the will and as a choice. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. One of the biggest mysteries of love, when we read the Bible and hear that God loves us, I think we struggle to think that how could God love me because we're thinking about love as an affection instead of a choice. God loves you because he chose to love you, because God decided in his infinite will and sovereign wisdom that I'm going to love these people. has nothing to do with affection. has nothing to do with shared interests. Love, real, permanent, Life-transforming love is not about what you feel. Now, we're gonna get into this very practically throughout the series, but I just wanna give a quick commercial for this one thought right here. You should never in a billion years let your feelings in the driver's seat. If you want to have a better relationship, your feelings should be in the car, but they should not be in the driver's seat. Your feelings will follow your actions instead of letting your your actions follow your feelings. One of the biggest challenges that many relationships face is that we just do what we feel like doing. And in turn, we reap whatever that action has brought us. Instead of being a choice-led people, a disciplined people, a love-pursuing people that makes a commitment with faithfulness and commitment and sacrifice without expecting anything in, in return. That's the type of love that God has for you. And that's the type of love that we're talking about in, in the series. So I want to look at a scripture today from 1 John. And I think 1 John gives us a beautiful definition of what love is. And it's going to be really practical for us as we unpack this throughout this series, um, and giving us some tools that we need to thrive in all of our relationships, and also tools theologically to understand what it means to be loved by God. First John 4 and 7, it should be on the screens. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed to us among revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Now, the first thing that I think about when I think about this concept of love from the scripture, um, one of the true measures of your spirituality is how you love other people. When the Pharisees and different religious leaders were asking Jesus the question, Jesus, what does it mean? What's the most important commandment? Jesus says, you ask for one, I'll give you two. To love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus never separated genuine spiritual life, vitality with God the Father from actually how you treat and love other people. James or John, I'll forget which one, asked the question, how is it that you love God who you haven't seen? but you don't love the people who you do see. How is that possible? Jesus was teaching uh, one of his uh, his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and Jesus says this about your spirituality, about your prayer life. Here's what he says in Matthew 5, 23. If you are offering your gift on the altar, and there at the altar you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then, then come offer your gift. Think about that. You come to church to get right with Jesus, to sing your songs of praise. God says, hey, leave. Go first be reconciled. Make that relationship right. Make that horizontal relationship right before coming approaching me vertically. We can never separate. Listen, we can never separate loving God and loving people. So it's the highest command in a part of our spiritual formation And to be perfectly honest, uh, the big reason we're doing this series is so that we can be uh, discipled to learn what it means to love and to love other people genuinely. Uh, One of the challenges about understanding this concept of discipleship is that I think we think discipleship is just learning new things. So you come, take out your notes, write down some stuff, and we're going to learn something new. And that is certainly a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Another part of being a disciple of Jesus is unlearning things that were never true in the first place. And then being in a cycle of relearning the truth that God wants you to learn. Discipleship is learning, unlearning, and relearning. And over the next couple of weeks, we hope to be unlearning a lot of our behaviors and what it means to to love. So what does it mean to love? First, the goal. The goal of love is always to seek the good of the other person. The goal of love is always to seek the good of the other person. In 1 John 4 and 9, he says this, for God's love was revealed among us in this way. This is how God's love was revealed. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love, as the scripture is telling us, is that it is not directed for our own selfish gain, but the goal of agape is always to seek the good of the other person. Now, one of the most challenging things in my life is that 999999 percent of the time, my motivations are selfish. You might be different. You're a holier person than I am. But most of the time, what I think about almost every single interaction that I have with people is what can I get out of this? Even with my, my wife and my kids, my, my natural proneness, my natural inclination is always to think about me and me first. Most people think about this in almost every interaction they have with people. We tend to think of ourselves first and other people second and third if they're lucky. But real love seeks the other person, the good of the other person, as their goal. I think one of the things that you'll notice in your life and your relationships is that the, the biggest, most profound, most enduring, most consistent problem is that you have two selfish centers as a part of every relationship. And the best way. To really sow seeds of grace and seeds of, God goodness, seeds of God's goodness in any relationship is to admit, repent of your selfishness, and to seek the good of the other person. Practically speaking, one of the things I think Christians could do, and it, listen, here's, here's what you can do today to make every relationship that you are in with your coworkers, your boss, your roommate, your parents, your kids, uh, a loved one, a significant other, whoever it is that you find yourself talking to, The best way to inject immediately love into any conversation is to really listen to somebody. I'm not talking about listening with the purpose of responding. If you want to have a better date the next time someone swipes left or right, whatever direction they're swiping in, (laughs) the next date you go on, if you make it your aim to really listen to somebody, the next time you find yourself in a conflict with a brother or sister in church, instead of telling the narrative in your head of what they did, what they thought, why they did it, to suspend judgment and to listen to them. You will instantaneously make that relationship a lot more loving. Here's what we do most of the time. We listen just so we can clap back at people. Go ahead, I'm gonna let you finish, go ahead. So, Tuesday, Tuesday's when he did that? Okay, keep going. And then we instantly are in our brains we're just, we're just waiting to respond. We're not actually listening to anybody. We're just listening so that we can respond. Or we're so insecure in our conversations, particularly with people we just met, that we're, we're not even listening to the words that are coming out of their mouths. We're just listening and thinking, what are they thinking of me? And we're waiting to respond, and we're not truly giving them the gift of our presence to listen to them. I'll never forget the first date I went on with my wife. Um, I thought it was a date. I'm not sure if she thought it was a date, but... That's another conversation in and of itself. And I'll never forget, we were, she was talking and we were sitting around and there hit a point in the date where I was like, yo, she is like really legit. And I started getting afraid like, yo, what if she doesn't like me? She gotta like the kid. I mean, if she don't like me, then what's wrong with her? Then I went on like this crazy rabbit hole and she was saying words and I just like blacked out for like 10 (laughs) seconds. And then the conversation got silent and I was like, oh, she wants me to respond. And I was like, man, that's crazy. That's, that is, that's crazy. So, yeah. I didn't even know what to say. One of the things that, um, with all the business of life, the best thing you can do for somebody, seriously, is to turn your phone off, face down, and to give them the gift of your time and your presence and say, hey, how was your day? And to stop and to listen. We're trying to teach my son that now, my six-year-old to give people the gift of his presence and to be an incarnational listener means that people around you would describe you as a good listener. Not you yourself saying that you are a good listener, but the people closest to you would say that about you. That when people are upset with you, you're able to listen to them without being defensive. Mm, that's a big one. That you're listening not just to the words that people say, but also to their body language and their heart behind their words. That you're not judging them because you suspend a judgment just to hear what they are saying in those mo- moments. That where appropriate, you're able to validate another person's feelings with empathy. That you go into the conversation aware of your defense mechanisms at, that you do in um, stressful conversations. Here's a big one. That you ask for clarification instead of filling in the blanks when you don't fully understand what they're saying. That you don't interrupt to get your point across, that you give someone the gift of your undivided attention. Now, the best way to do this is, uh, really, um, if you're asking for someone to to, to listen to you, uh, don't just spring on them a crazy conversation while they're in the middle of, like, nine different things. Ask them for a time to talk. If you're the one initiating it you want someone to listen to you, ask them for a time that they can actually give you their attention. Don't just, like, jump out in the middle and lob out a grenade in the conversation. But if you can sit down with someone... um, again, on your next date you're on with your roommate or whatever, to give someone the gift of love, to seek their good and to listen to them, that is something that I think instantaneously will change all of our relationships. So number one, the, gift, the goal of love is always to seek the good of the other person. How differently would your relationships right now look like if you were seeking their good instead of seeking your own good? The evidence of love is action, not words. The evidence of love is action, not words. So in verse nine, again, it says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God did something. He sent his son, his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, one of the biggest challenges about, that, we are, that we need to unlearn is that loving people will not require you to get into messy situations and uncomfortable situations and to lay down your, uh, your own life Um, to really serve someone else, not just in words only, but in action and in deed. Uh, One of the biggest challenges we've had over the years in different community groups and DNA groups are that someone in every single church context, someone is always going to offend someone else. And over the years, I've had people who have reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I want to change my group because we had this blow up or I'm not talking to this person anymore or whatever. And in their brains they think that they love the other person just by not spazzing out on them or giving them a black eye figuratively or sometimes literally. And they think that's what love is. And certainly, to an extent, it is good to not talk about someone else behind their back. But I think that we have such a shallow understanding of love because we think that love is supposed to be neat and tidy and emotionally positive and all these different things when the reality of the situation is what it looks like to love someone who offends you is to go to them. Gently and directly. Jesus says if somebody offends you, you need to go to them gently and explain to them what they have done. By gentle, I mean you have removed all of the unnecessary harshness in your words, your tone, and everything about it, seeking their good, seeking their repentance and their change in behavior. Most people don't do that because it's uncomfortable. It's messy. It's a whole lot easier just to go the other direction and start afresh with a new group of people. And you're going to continue to be in that cycle over and over and over again. Earlier, I said that the goal of this series is that we would not be feelings-led people, but that rather we would be actions-led people because love in word is not love at all. That's infatuation. Infatuation likes you for what they can see in the moment. But love, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things. Man, that word bears is a beautiful concept love just endures a lot love just puts up with a whole lot over a long period of time the evidence of love real love is action not words when you're asking yourself the question do i love this person it should not be about your emotional feeling in the moment but what are your actions towards that person here's the thing you feelings will always catch up to your actions, whether you do good things to someone or bad things to someone. If you do loving actions to someone, you will eventually have more and more feelings of affection for them. If you do harmful things to someone, you will eventually have more and more negative emotions about them. True story, every time I get mad at my wife, I go do the dishes. Seriously, I go do the dishes because when I'm angry and I'm like, this is about to be a, a, a cycle of resent, and me um, stonewalling all these different things, let me go do the dishes. And in doing the dishes, it's one of the most spiritual things I can do. Seriously, it works on my heart. I want to love people with action, not with words. The extent of love is sacrifice. So the, uh, the goal of love is to seek the good of the other person. The evidence of love is action. The extent of love is always sacrifice. I've told this story before, but love is not seen on Instagram. And very quick commercial, most of the things that you see on Instagram are fake. <laughs> Seriously. Don't ever compare your day-to-day experience with someone else's highlight reel. Don't ever do that. Real love is expressed itself expresses itself through sacrifice. And we see this most clearly in, in, um, in the scripture, First uh, John 4 and 10. It says, love consists in this, not that we love God. No, it's not that we love God but that God loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Real love is all about sacrifice. Years ago when I was working in family court, I was doing juvenile delinquency defense work, and uh, I would always tell parents in juvenile in, uh, in family court that your child will, have, will probably have a better outcome if you and other people from the community show up for their court dates. It shows a strong community level uh, of support, And judges tend to be less harsh to kids who have parental support because they don't think that they need to put as many systems in place. There was one child who, for a number of reasons, was really struggling and wasn't getting what he needed. And man, what started out as like one small thing, before we knew it, it just ballooned out of control, and it felt like we were in court every single week. And I'll never forget, one day, I walked in the waiting room to get um, him and his mother for the case, and she was just in court, I mean, in the waiting room, just like knocked out, like mouth wide open, knocked out cold, and I asked her how she was doing, and she said, man, I'm just like so tired. I lost my job um, having to call out of work so many times that I actually got fired, and the only job I could find to pay the bills and to still show up here at court was cleaning up buildings overnight. Now, there's nothing at all wrong with using our hands and, and working with our hands to clean different things, uh, but this woman left her job, and she, was, uh, she got her master's degree. She left her job so that she can love her son so that she can give him the highest level of support that he can get. Now, love to us, we might think instinctually is something beautiful and emotional and something that we Instagram, but in real ways, love looks a whole lot more like a mother who's lost her job and is cleaning up buildings overnight than a parents who have this perfectly curated uh, reel of walking through sunflower fields uh, on Instagram. That's what I did last week. (laughs) But the extent of love is always sacrifice. Faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice. And here's the thing, without expecting anything in in return. Uh, There's a story about an anthropologist by the name of Margaret Mead, and she was asked uh, by a student about what she considered to be the first sign of human civilization in a culture. Now, anthropologists study the human behavior, and she said, um, something that the student did not expect her to say. The student expected her to say that the first sign of human civilization is our clay pots or fish hooks that they use to go fishing. But she said that the first sign in any civilization of a real of people existing there was a thigh bone, a femur, that had been broken and then healed. Here's why she said. In the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You cannot run from danger, get to the river to drink, or hunt for food. You are merely meat for prowling beasts. No animal in the entire animal kingdom survives a broken leg long enough for that bone to heal. But a broken femur that has healed is evidence that someone has taken the time to stay with the one who fell, to bind up their wounds, to carry them to safety, to put their safety in danger for the good of the other person, Here's what she said, helping someone else through difficulty at your expense is where humanity and civilization starts. We are at our best when we sacrificially love others. One of my hopes and my goals for you and all the relationships that right now you're in is that you allow God to transform your life and your heart to not be so you-focused and to be others-focused. Now, one big thing about sacrifice Sacrifice should always be on pace with commitment. So you should not sacrifice everything for someone who has not committed themselves to you. These things should walk hand in hand, sacrifice and commitment um, in most cases, and certainly in dating relationships um, for sure. But people, even the people who cannot give you something in return, brothers and sisters in the faith, man, what would it look like if we had a church full of people who weren't just thinking about what they can get out of it, but how they can be with other people? I think that would resemble a lot more what it looks like to love others. And this is what we see clearly in the gospel. This is what Jesus has done for us, that the extent of his love was not something that he just talked about, but something that he did. In Matthew 23 and 37, Jesus is teaching, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. Here's what Jesus says about people. How often I wanted to gather your children together, As a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Here's what Jesus is saying. Uh, A mother hen would gather and call her chicks to protect them from predators. In this analogy, Satan is the predator. And just like the mother hen literally uses her body to protect her chick's life, Christ literally used his body to protect his children from destruction. Jesus not just at the risk of his own life, but at the cost of his own life, he gave us himself. Real love is always expressed through sacrifice. Think about this week, not what you are hoping to get, but what are you willing to give. Last thing that we see about love, the goal is always the other person, the evidence is always action, the extent is always sacrifice, and the source of love is God. In the scripture in 1 John We see it says, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. What John is saying is that since we have received a love like this from God, we should use that kind of love and love other people to that same extent. Now, I get it. Love is messy, especially dealing with difficult, ungrateful, selfish, self-centered people. It's extremely difficult. And I don't know how you're going to find that inside of yourself to just love someone the way God loves other people. Two things about that. One, we are, we are fallen sinners living in a broken world. We will never measure up, and hit a home run every single time. That's just impossible. But I think what Scripture is calling us to do is to be people who are constantly receiving God's love for us and then pouring that love out on other people, rehearsing the gospel in our hearts and our minds, inviting God the Holy Spirit into our situations to say, God, I can't do this on my own, and I need your love to really fuel and motivate me to actually be able to love other people. So actually, I want to pray for us right now that the Holy Spirit... Would uh, make our hearts alive and uh, give us give us the love that we need for other people. Uh, God, our Father, you know the relationships that we are in with difficult people. Uh, Lord, you know the ups, the downs, the joys, the laments, everything in between. Father, I pray that we would be marked and known as people who love well. That you would teach us what it means to love others. Father, I pray that you would give us the strength the fortitude, the inspiration to know that we are loved deeply, profoundly, sacrificially, and allow that to shape our lives and the way we treat other people. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.